Welcome to Swimming with the Fish, where we feel it's time to spend some time talking about time. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I am once again here with my two compatriots. This is Crutch, and uh, welcome, Goon. How are you this evening? I'm, I'm doing awesome, sir. Thank you. And, and Chief, how are you this evening? I heard a rumor that the Goon literally had a screw loose, so I don't know about this awesome that he's talking about. Well, you know, you know, um, I, I kind of heard the same rumor. Goon, Goon, could you elaborate just a little, just before we get on to the fun and games? Uh, yeah, thank you, thank you so much, uh, uh, Chief. <laughs> we got our bus driver's licenses. I'm here for you. Yeah, yeah, I, I can hear that. That <laughs> was on in the Star beep, Trek way. That's the bus backs up now. So thanks. Uh, yeah, when I woke up this morning, um, so, something was funny and strange. And uh, as I sat up, um, I, I I spit a screw into my hand. <laughs> do, you, do you normally eat those? No. No, you know, I, I don't have, like, low iron content or anything like that. Um, it, it was a, a surprisingly large screw uh, that came out of the dental implant that uh, uh, I am having put in. And I recall my uh, oral surgeon saying, you know, the, the screw's a little bit short. It might work its way out. And and she was right, so we're going in tomorrow so she can put put the screw back in. I, I, I'm just hoping I don't have to get a shot for that because it's a shot in the roof of the mouth, and I don't like it. I'm kind of a baby about the whole thing. Well, don't they give you a shot in the roof of the mouth prior to the shot in the roof of the mouth to numb you for the shot in the roof of the mouth? Yeah, but it doesn't help a whole lot. Uh, I I'm always worried they're going to go too far and, you know, right up the brain. <laughs> then I forget I, my name. <laughs> I, I Honestly, I'd tell them anything if they would just stop doing that. <laughs> wow. Is it safe? Is it safe? Oh, old movie reference. Kenneth, Kenneth, what is the frequency? Uh, it's whatever you want. Just stop. <laughs> Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we can only hope that the the amount of time the goon will spend in the uh, dentist chair is short. Uh, We're going to be talking a lot about time tonight. As you noticed from our uh, creepy uh, once-a-month intro music, it is once again Conspiracy Theory Week. And we uh, we have the chief to thank for the plethora of time-related stories. So, um... Oh, wait, wait, let, let, let me get my tinfoil hat. <laughs> you know, there's a little prep time, Goon. Most of us came to the show wearing our hats. Just saying. And some Just of us, saying. Some of us never take it off. <laughs> that was going to be my line. <laughs> his his tinfoil's on the inside of his skull. <laughs> I'm, guessing, I'm guessing that the aliens put it there. No, it keeps the aliens at bay. Right Right now it's the Chesapeake Bay, but they're getting close. (laughs) Nothing keeps them at bay. But I digress. Please continue. Um, The first story is a a very old book, which um, I have started reading. I can honestly say I've started reading the thing, and it is uh, is quite fascinating. But the chief, I believe, uh, has made it to the end, and um, the title alone was interesting. And then when I saw the date and I went, okay, that's pretty odd. But she, you go ahead and describe it, because it's pretty weird. Alright, so, link one will be Baron Trump's marvelous underground journey. 
the entire book. It was written by Ingersoll Lockwood, and it was printed in 1893. Now, for those of you who don't go back that far, that was <laughs> over a hundred years ago. <laughs> if we have anybody who does go back that far, you might have known my grandfather. He was two when this book was written. Well, I mean, if time travel's possible, then maybe we all have been back that far. I, I, I seriously doubt that, or I would have warned myself not to be where I am today. But that <laughs> is yet another story. Right now, there, uh, this actually came up for all of us who go on Reddit and or 4chan, because the, the rest of the internet is not good enough for you. Um, <laughs> As a <laughs> you had to find a deeper pit to go into. <laughs> there was a there was a theory that uh, Donald Trump's uncle John Trump had a relationship with Nikola Tesla, and mm-hmm. and Tesla had made a time machine, of which what? the Don took back to make those millions, and he was mm-hmm. making this story. Now, even though. Baron is spelled differently in the book than his actual son, his current son, in this time frame, Baron. It it does eerily relate to things that are now happening. There are there's a huge Russian setting. There are many references to the Fifth Avenue Hotel in New York City where the Don now in this the Don who uh, protects Baron is actually, I mean, that is more of a coincidence thing because the it is Don Fum, but it, he's a Spaniard, so uh, it would be Mister. But you know what? Right. If you were trying to hide your identity in the past, this seems like a good way to do it. Yeah, yeah. No, that's not a name. That's a that's a title. Yes, and. Uh, uh, little Baron Trump had a dog whose name was Bulger B-U-L-G-A-R uh, since this is old English I have no clue how <laughs> they're supposed to really pronounce that how does it spelled again? B is in boy U-L-G-A-R mm-hmm. Bulger that is what I said I don't know what it means, but yeah, I agree on the pronunciation. I'm we're we're probably going to find out because if this truly is a story that uh is foreshadowing things to come, then we just need to wait. Maybe it's Whitey Bulger. I was no. about to say that's that's the if you type Bulger into Google, all you get is like eighteen stories about Whitey Bulger. I'm like, hmm, some people might have considered him a dog, but probably not. And to any of his friends who are listening, that was a joke. Really small. His, his, I'm going to shut up now. His friends should be dead. Or not listening to the show. Either you just way. Never... <laughs> la, 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 la. Yes, let's, let's not go down that, that road, okay? Yeah. we got enough conspiracies. Crutch starts his own car from now on. Fair enough? <laughs> Works for me, yeah. <laughs> i got a remote. So, uh... Baron has many adventures going through Russia trying to find a world within a world. 
Now, I still am not 100% sure what he was trying to do, except like there was a dimensional travel. And uh, one thing that this alludes to is what will happen next. And that, of course, came in the sequel to this book. And do you know what that was called? Uh, let's see. Bogus Journey? I don't know. No, that was Bill and Ted. Sorry. <laughs> I knew I'd heard that somewhere before. So, uh, 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 Donald Trump becomes president? Uh, well. Why we hate Hillary? What? Its sequel, which happened in, uh, was printed in 1900, was called mm-hmm. The Last President. Oh, oh. Wait, all together now. <laughs> now, <laughs> these books cannot be sold <laughs> anywhere, but you can find them on the Library of Congress or at archive.org, which they're free to read, and there's a lot of reading to do. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you were not intrigued at how accurate this is and how barren may be the key to all this, the person that you never see, you know, the, the one who's always in the shadows, maybe he's pulling all the strings, and that's why no one ever talks about him. The kid? Baron is, yeah, Baron is the puppet master. I'm liking it. There's going to be some reporters who are just going to disappear after dissing his clothing choices if he truly is, you know, the man behind the man. How do you know that they haven't already disappeared? Right. Have you heard from them since? Okay, I just got a shiver. (laughs) (laughs) Well... Okay, we, we we're gonna leave we're gonna leave Baron and and his marvelous adventures and and move on to <clears throat> something that's not quite a conspiracy, but certainly does sound like we actually have an example of time travel, albeit a tiny tiny time travel. Would you not say that would be a, a true story about tiny tiny travel? Our good friend there, the Russian cosmonaut. This is a this is a this is a good story. Um, you know, it's it's it just so you know that we're you know we're putting some time into the research. We're actually going to come up with a, a, a real honest to gosh story here. Uh, there's a Russian cosmonaut, and um, his name is. You're going to have to help me with this one, Chief Sergei Krikalev. That was close enough. Okay, yeah. Technically, he's living in the future due to his extended period of time on the International Space Station, because. He spent 804 days in space, and he arrived back on Earth 0.02 seconds in the future, thanks to a process known as time dilation. Time dilation really comes into play when you get really, really close to the speed of light. Um, There's an old story about uh, you take two twins, and you put one on a spaceship, and you shoot him out at a significant percentage of the speed of light. And let's say he goes... um, out for six months and then back for six months. So as far as the guy on the the twin on the spaceship is concerned, he's only aged a year. But when he comes back, he finds out that the people on Earth have actually um, aged as much as like 45 years. And that's because the faster you go, time compresses. Or I'm sorry, time dilates. Time is slowed down for people going fast, speed it up for us, whichever way you want to look at it. Um, the International Space Station is in fact whooping around the, uh, the Earth at a significant rate. I believe it circles 90 minutes to get around the Earth. I think that's so right. That's, is that, that's a pretty good clip. Is that a technical term? Whooping? 
whooping around. Yes, sir. I, I looked it up. There's uh, there's uh, mega whoops and killer whoops. Excellent. And sometimes there's cans of whoop, but that's a whole different kind of whoop. <laughs> um, that is another word on the end of it, those cans. <laughs> well, yeah. Compound yeah, but, word. Thank yes. you. So, but we're trying to keep this show, you know, at the Sesame Street level. <clears throat> anyway. That's so, only so the three of us can understand it. You, 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 you know that, true. right? That's true. T is for time. Anyway, um, so, you know, if you go very, very fast, then, you know, this this happens. Now... Like I said, the International Space Station is going around every 90 minutes. He was up there for a significant amount of time to build up this microscopic little bit of time. So, yes, uh, he is, in fact, uh, probably the world's first at least documented and calculated time traveler. The only problem with his kind of time travel is it really only goes in one way. <coughs> Much like those twins, you know, you end up with one twin who is who went from, you know, age 25 to 26, and the other guy, poor guy, has gone from 25 to 65. The 26-year-old can't go back in time and live through all those years with his brother. It's, you know, that kind of time travel really works one way. Right. We like the stories where you've got people bebopping around. And we by, got quite a by, few. By the way, you just reminded me that first type of story. Yes. Um, the uh, uh, science fiction writer Robert Heinlein used that a lot in his books. He talked about sending out a fleet of spaceships. I, I wish I could remember what story it is, where... The way they were going to communicate with these trip, these ships that approached the speed of light, uh, was by twins who could psychically connect, and mm-hmm. they talked about the trouble with the other twins, the twins left on Earth, aging and dying. Right, right, and then and then you've lost your comms. Right, and and you're on your own. Well, we're all on our own when it comes down to it. <laughs> Now I'm scared. <laughs> very, very true. So, um, so one of the stories where we potentially have a situation where somebody has actually changed their temporal location and made it back um, is actually a semi-accurate... I mean, they made a movie about it. Um, you were going to talk about it, the Philadelphia Experiment. Indeed. I, I actually learned about this from that very movie. This is the first time I ever heard about it. This is a, uh, an experiment that allegedly... Uh, that, that covers us legally, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> allegedly happened uh, near October 28, 1943. So nearing the mid to... Well, really the midpoint of uh, World War II. And it involved a uh, Navy destroyer, DE-173, the USS Eldridge. Eldridge. The Navy was apparently interested in... They were playing around uh, with uh, Einstein's uh, uh, the field theory, uh, unified field theory. And they were trying to make ships invisible to enemy radar. So they had all these generators. You have magnetism. You have electricity. You have great big old generators on the ship. They turn them all on to see if the ship can be made invisible. And the story that they have is the ship disappears well you, you missed the bada bing bada boom because you, you know you have all this electricity you have all these magnets bada bing bada boom, bada boom the, the ship, ship disappears, disappears. and yeah. shows up instead of in Philadelphia it's down in Norfolk and then bada bing it's back uh, except for some changes that have happened several sailors that were on the upper deck are on the lower deck and 
they're not really in the same condition they were in. One guy, uh, his hand was inside a steel wall. Ow. Yeah, others just disappeared. And uh, b- people people got sick from from the, the... So, some sort of a translocation. And hmm. some claim time travel occurred because of this. Really? Now, of course, uh, the, the uh, Navy uh, denies all of this. As a general rule. Yeah, no, it, it didn't happen, and... Uh, nothing to see here, we belong now. Nothing to see here, and the Eldridge wasn't even in Philadelphia during that time. Right. So, so in the Eldridge was actually going to be starting its sea trials. Hmm. The ship was... Uh, hold on, let me... Let me see here. Um, I believe it was in August. It was in New York, and it was going to be on its way to Norfolk. It wasn't commissioned until August 27th, 1943, mm-hmm. and it remained in New York City until September 1943. Mm-hmm. So it is possible that since it was on its first shakedown cruise, mm. it could have stopped. Sure. It was it was in the right area. Oh, well, it's not in the logs. But, you know, logs can be falsified. Well, the sailors that we found, you know, that are still alive say it didn't happen. Well, that's not all of them, and... Uh, you could probably make a whole shipload of sailors lie. <laughs> there's um, there's also stories that that some of the sailors um, had experienced uh, until you know late in their lives um, a lot of disorienting and dizziness, and uh, in one case, uh, supposedly a phasing in and out of real space, which yes. can be really disconcerting if you're like you know running your tractor at your farm and all of a sudden you know you're not there. The you know, tractor's like, running itself, yes. Right, because, because you phase out of it and you're sitting on the ground. Um, it's, it's an interesting story. Uh, there was supposedly, uh, at least in the movie, they projected out, um, you know, this this joint uh, wormholy looking thing, and that's when the story kind of got a little weird. Um, right, the movie that you saw had the storm, right? Exactly. The experiment creates the storm through the hole and all like, that other crazy. Like things. everything was being sucked up through the hole, and they had to fix it. Right, because nobody would have noticed that. Yeah, none of that is in the uh, is in the conspiracy theory because apparently that's even too far out for the conspiracy theorists. <laughs> they looked at that and went, "That's that's nuts." What are you talking about? <laughs> there, there is a there is a pretty good documentary, uh, which of course I, I'll have to look up the name and we can we can put it out. Um, that talks about what's, uh, um, what you can find on Wikipedia and, and other locations. Um, the only real, um, you know, the thing that makes you doubt this a little bit is how the story got out, how it got to the original investigator. Mm. The original investigator was a guy who wrote a UFO book. Mm-mm. He received a copy of his book with all these notes scribbled in the margin. Okay. Um, in three different colors of pink ink, and uh, it was almost like three different um, three different people conversing with one another in the margins. Mm. Didn't really have anything to do with what was in the book. He was it's just like, well, I don't have a piece of paper, so I'm going to use the margins. And it was uh, uh, the the man who was conversing with him went by the name of uh, Carl Carlos Allende. Uh, they've since figured. They've since determined, or they believe that uh, his real name was Carl Meredith Allen of New Kingston, Pennsylvania, and and unfortunately, 
he made a lifetime of sending bizarre writings and claims and had an established history of psychiatric illness. Ooh. Oh. So that, that does add a little, you know... But Call him a whack job and it just covers everything, you know. Right, I mean, I, I, I must admit, the writings uh, in the margin are discussed at length in the documentary. Mm-hmm. They they are pretty bizarre. It's There's nothing about that there in the... Uh, um, it, it, like say in the in the Wikipedia page, but uh, you know I, I got to tell you. So so the Eldridge was actually retired after the war, and it was sold to the Greek Navy, and it's somewhere in Greece now. You can you can find pictures of it sitting dockside in some Greek fishing village, and then it's not there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at, at and, this and then point, it comes back. <laughs> yeah, at this point from night every day. So who and knows? And and then there's a little sign out there that says it's out to launch. <laughs> Sorry. Oh. 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 I'm not responsible for that joke. I'm um, not saying it was aliens. <laughs> but, but it was, was aliens? Exactly. You think it was you think it was the Greys? No, I so <clears throat> for anyone who's played XCOM, they they go through a list of all the aliens that can abduct you and probe you and do other things and send you back slightly different than you were before. So Why do they want to probe us? What can they possibly learn from that? So, at least in the game, they are trying to figure out how they can genetically merge with us because they have done enough mutations to their own DNA that it is collapsing. So they, uh, they can no longer reproduce. <laughs> Oh, you they mean much like we're doing now? They don't have hot females. Uh, they have zero females. They. Th- this is more oh. like a xenomorph type thing. There's absolutely no oh. reason to live then. <laughs> well, yeah, so. I mean, because if they had if they had hot females, um, come on, guys, you know, guys, that would be all over that. That would be no problem finding willing volunteers. That's where the probing comes in. That's right. Mars might need women, but the aliens need, um, I don't know, probing. I'm feeling a little uncomfortable now and sitting up straighter in my chair. We um, we really need to get Giorgio Sokolos on this show. I just, just have him on, just so we can tell him, you know, we think it was aliens. <laughs> I love that guy's hair. Yeah. I wish I still had hair like that. I wish I ever had hair like that. You know, he's probably going to tell us that he doesn't think it's aliens. I know, wouldn't that be the best part? I don't think that's aliens. <laughs> Wait, what? What is aliens? <laughs> yes. Oh, oh, by the way, the Navy's explanation? The, uh, uh, the swamp gas. S- swamp gas, viewing Venus. No, it wasn't any of that. It was Viewing um, Uranus. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Back, back to the probing. Thank you. <laughs> uh, they were... They, they had um, another ship, the Engstrom, in 1943, was docked alongside the Eldridge and generated a powerful electromagnetic field to degauss the Eldridge. Mm. Would that be degauss? Yes, it'd be degauss. Um, the ship called the Angstrom? Engstrom? Engstrom. E N G S T R O M D E50. A very short ship. Yes. But with an E, not an A. Oh, shucks. Okay. Well, that ruins nice, the whole joke, doesn't nice, it? Nice try, though. Yeah. They were trying to make the ship undetectable to magnetically fused undersea mines and torpedoes. Well, that's which, nice. which actually, you know, if that's a cover story, 
whoever wrote that did a pretty good job because that's pretty that's plausible. They they went on to write for Star Trek. Doesn't surprise me. He has a degree in techno babble. The guy's name is uh, that came up with that is Jacques Vallée. Really? Well, he couldn't find the car to park it. <laughs> Computer scientist, ufologist, and astronomer lives in California. The first man to park other people's cars. <laughs> oh God, that's awful. I'm I'm sorry. If you do that again, <laughs> you know what's going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, here it goes. Thank you. All right. <laughs> so, Let that be a lesson to you. Thank you, sir. Well, one of the links that we'll be providing is a lot of... Um, there's so many collections of wonderful YouTube videos, you know, the top ten stories on uh, on the subject of time travel. We were able to gather up a bunch of uh, other incidences. Not really big stories, but in and of themselves, little ones that just made you kind of think, you know, hmm. Uh, one of the ones that caught my eye was uh, something that's referred to as the Versailles time slip. And this happened back in um, August of 1901, and uh, it involves two women who uh, had uh, decided to go on a visit. Their names are Charlotte Anne Moberly, Moberly and Eleanor Jourdain, and they decided to go visit the Palace of Versailles in France. Um, kind of toured around, checked it out, not all that impressed, said, hey, maybe we'll go over and look at these gardens at this place called the Petit Triomphe. And um, so they're, they're kind of just wandering around, and like, you know, whenever people wander around, they kind of got lost, and kind of felt weary and tired, and then they started noticing things were like looking weird. People suddenly were dressed in old-style clothing. I mean, this is, you know, 1901, so technically 20th century, you just kind of hopped over. But they've got people in, like, tri-corner hats walking down the street an old plow and farmhouse and, you know, they're thinking, this stuff looks like it should be coming from a museum. And as, as was quoted in their book, because the two of them wrote a book about the incident, uh, Mr. Jourdain said, uh, everyone suddenly looked unnatural and unpleasant. Even the trees seemed to become flat and lifeless, like the wood worked into a tapestry. They reached the edge of the wood, and they came out to a place called the Temple of Moor, and they came across a man seated on a, on a kiosk, and... Um, wearing a cloak and a large shady hat and his appearance was uh, very weird odious even um, so they were talking to this guy and so um, so they were talking to this guy and he, he crisp curly black hair and a large sombrero hat he came up to them and showed them the way to the Petit Triomphe because you know obviously they're lost so they crossed the bridge and they reached the gardens in front of the palace and then um, they noticed this lady sketching on the grass and uh, who looked at them, and she later described what she saw in great detail. The lady was wearing a light summer dress, shiny white hat, lots of fair hair, and they realized that the lady was Marie Antoinette. Now, mind you, by 1901, Marie had been dead for quite a while. I believe she was killed in the 1700s, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and she was, she was a tad shorter than when she was in life. <laughs> uh, by about a head. <laughs> um... Yeah, so um, so they they found their way back, and they um, they were able to make it back to their own time. Uh, sat down and, and wrote a book about it, uh, referred to it as the adventure. Uh, the book was published in 1911. Um, their identities as authors, though, were hidden um, mostly because I'm sure you know people would read this and go, <laughs> Charlotte and, and Eleanor have lost their minds. Um, 
but this is uh, this is one of the earliest documented time slips, as uh, as these things are called, where you slip in and out. So it's um, it's an interesting story. I uh, I haven't seen anything to discount it. Again, it's to the word of two women who say, you know, we were there, we weren't there. A lot of people seem, you know, to have the attitude, well, they really have no reason to lie, unless, you know, hey, good fiction starts with a lie, you know, for lack of a better thing. Yeah, but they'd have to get their stories and sync. There's, there's a lot of detail now. One another explanation would be if they were on that really good stuff, you know, because the the normal stuff will put you in a altered state, but the really good stuff apparently <laughs> will let you jump time zones, <laughs> time zones, uh, time dimensions. You will. A lot of people experience floating. These people actually went back about 200 years. I mean, you know, it's, it's, all, it's all who the grower is, I think. <laughs> oh, wow. So you're suggesting that they might have uh, been uh, maybe partaking of something of a well, chemical nature? May- maybe it was secondhand and they didn't even know it. There's a lot of... Uh, I know that there are uh, tribal traditions where all you've got to do is you light it up but and you have the person go sit in a room and they Mm. will then be on a journey and the animals will talk to them and the animal that talks to you is your spirit guide so Mm. anything is possible gee i think we should do that i'd like to know who my spirit guide is i'm i'm a hundred percent sure that you do that you will no longer be working where you work right now (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's that's probably true but do I don't know what my sp- I can, do they discriminate against Native American customs and traditions? Uh, everyone discriminates against Native American anything, okay? Well, there is that. <clears throat> what do I tell you every time, Chief? <laughs> you tell me a lot of things. Which yeah. disparaging thing would this be? <laughs> <laughs> this would be the, you didn't have to take the beads. Well, oh, yeah, good point. But they were shiny. <laughs> and you know how we feel about shiny things. Chinese good. Much, much the same way we feel about shiny things, unfortunately. <laughs> We're all easily distracted. True enough. Ooh, speaking of distraction, so um, one of the other stories that was uh, kind of interesting is um, there is a... Uh, let's see if I can get this one. There it is. Uh, Sir Victor Goddard. Now, Sir Victor Goddard is a, a pilot. And uh, he was a pilot during... Um, See during World War One, World War One, World War Two, World War Two. He's fly, he's flying through um, the uh, the air and he's headed for. Um, let's see, I'm going to get a good link here. If I can find my good link, there's my good link. Okay, yes. So one day he is flying from Edinburgh to Andover, England, and uh, perfectly ordinary flight, and he's flying over a dilapidated airport in Drem, Scotland. Now, as he's flying over it, you know, it's totally abandoned. The weeds are growing up in all the, the runways and the place looks horrible. And he's, he's flying along and as he's continuing along, he starts to run into some, some bad weather. <clears throat> he gets so disoriented in the middle of this bad weather that he finds himself turned completely around. And then suddenly, like out of a shot, the bad weather turns completely to a bright sunny day. It's like, wow, that's a little weird. Even storms, you know, storms don't normally end that quick. 
and he realizes, well, I'm flying back the, over, the, the way I've been flying, and he looks down, and he sees that very same Drem airfield in perfect working order. Not only is it in perfect working order, but there are planes on the runway, and he's low enough that he can actually see the ground crew. What was really strange is the ground crew are not wearing the standard khaki coveralls that the Royal Air Force wears at all of their military bases. They're wearing blue overalls, which was, you know, would be highly irregular, I believe our friends across the pond would say. Yeah, you know, and the military are stickler for About colors. Things. Yes. yes. You know, they, yeah, you, 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 all the uniforms got to be the right color. That's, that's how we know we're all on the same team, right? There you go. Not, not very cricket, my good man. Exactly. And at the time, planes were, were, were painted in this uh, silvery metallic paint, and he's looking down, and he sees planes that are painted yellow. Yellow planes and blue mechanics. So totally, totally out of character. He gets himself reoriented, flies back to, um, to, to where he was finally headed. And Edin- Edinburgh, I think. Edinburgh, yes. And some four years later, once the war had ended, he had the opportunity to fly over Drem Air Base again. Now, after the war, they did a lot of rebuilding stuff and Drem Air Force Base was in fact rebuilt. And after the war, the Royal Air Force changed the grounds crew uniforms to blue. And the plane, the yellow plane, um, that uh, that the uh, individual, gosh, I'm bad with names today, aren't I? Sir Victor Goddard, yes, had seen some four years earlier. They now were painting the planes yellow, and this plane that he could not identify at the time turns out is a plane, was a brand new model that had just come out that year. So, of course, we get into the, well, did this weird storm throw him forward in time four and a half years? And then going backwards through it, he came back to his own time. How would he know the details? You know, is it just a coincidence that, you know, did he tell the story to enough people that people started saying, hey, you know, blue coveralls might be a good thing, and it just, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy? Um... Very interesting story, and uh, never, you know, to, till his dying day, he never believed that he was a chrononaut. But uh, he uh, he did get a few emails from people late in life about you know questioning the whole story. But it was um, an interesting an interesting tale because even a short hop can be interesting, I guess. A chrononaut. I know, isn't that a cool term? Uh, I like. Well, I like you it. Know, if uh, they could also call him a time pilot, you know, Ooh. but. But it, so things to take note, which is unique about his story, is one, he's a decorated officer. He's not trying to romanticize or say anything out of the ordinary. He gave dry facts. Uh, he the the spots that he went in, if it were possible, much like the theories and stuff behind the Bermuda Triangle, you know, he went in and then out and then while he realized this isn't where I'm supposed to be, he turned around and went back, and then he was back to where he was. So if there was uh, some a, a tear in the space-time continuum and he just hopped around, then one of the big problems that I have with time travel is once you go back in time from the future, mm-hmm. then you've created a loop. Because every time you get to that point in time, you're going to be going back. So you, mm-hmm. won't, you won't exist unless you head back. Well, this person went forward, 
which basically means he wouldn't exist until that time again. But then he went back. So unless he created an echo, and there were two of him, which the other one never saw him, much like in the show Sliders, <laughs> if anyone remembers that old thing, I, I do. Like this is this is where he would stand, and he just stated that information, and then he didn't try to uh, convince anyone else. He's like, look, this is what I saw, and, and that's it. But you believe so, him or not, that's uh, so. What you're saying is, if he could have figured out exactly what day that he had passed over the newly refurbished Drem Air Force Base, and had, for example, been on the ground. He might have actually looked up and seen himself. Yes. Would that cause the universe to explode? It, it never did in Sliders, so... I, I couldn't watch Sliders when it was on. And do you know why? Too late? <laughs> That's very funny. <laughs> you are an old man. Uh, yes, I am. And, I you don't know. think he was an old man back then, unless you're really suggesting he's old. Who can say? Maybe I'm a time traveler. Maybe. Uh, no, uh, in the very first episode when they went back to the first alternate reality, mm-hmm. the alternate reality they were in had uh, green meant stop and red meant go on the traffic lights. Mm-hmm. And the announcer talks about the Boston Yankees winning a, a baseball game. And, oh. and after that, I was like, well, this is just total fantasy. We can't have that. And I didn't watch it anymore. <laughs> wow. That's... Oh. um. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the, the Goon is the biggest Boston Red Sox fan and and one of the best New York Yankees haters that we, we know of. And the idea that those two would be merged in some unholy alliance um, could certainly give, you know, a true fan pause, I guess. It's, it's, it's not going to happen. It would never happen. It would be like matter and antimatter, and the universe would, in fact, explode. Well, I'm still looking forward to the Kaepernick Ravens. It'll never happen. You should stop saying that. Okay. Why? <laughs> well, that was last week's show. Sorry. If you're interested, folks, uh, listen to last week's show. That would be episode 19. You can find it at our website, swimmingwiththe.fish. Shameless plug. Ding, ding. Thank you very much. You, you know, I had a, a friend on Facebook. Uh, right, it doesn't uh, take uh, me this long to get to shameless plug in. I'm, I'm losing my skills here. I already but, don't believe this story because he said friend and Facebook. So, But keep going. Well, well, he was uh, he was wow. he was complaining to all of his conservative and/or Trump-loving friends. What was Kaepernick supposed to do? Stand up like everyone else? Well, yeah, you know, you know, it was interesting to me because I I wanted to send an answer, but I decided that it would just raise my blood pressure, so I didn't. But the real answer is, um, who stopped him from doing what he did? It's America. You have freedom of expression, and he did it right, mm-hmm. repeatedly. Mm-hmm. And now there are consequences. Mm-hmm. Suck it up, Buttercup. That's right. Well, now, if he had been a time traveler and known that he was going to have this much issue, maybe he'd have thought better of it. Yeah, he could do that. The um, the the unfunny comedian lady with the with the decapitated head, who has, uh, for the record, recanted her apology. I, said, I heard, I heard that this really? morning in Australia, yes. no yes. less. She said that. Uh, Does she promise to stay there? No, she did not. Darn it! She did state though that mm-hmm. she did all that under pressure, and she really didn't mean any of it. 
but do that's we... okay. It it sounded like she didn't mean it, so I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm you know I'm good with that. Does anyone expect any less from the high caliber person that she was before? Yeah. Oh, by the way, guys, I almost forgot to mention, I one time was actually uh, I had someone question as to whether or not I was a time traveler. Ah, uh, yes, I believe this was in school, was it not? It was indeed. Yes, uh, we were we were talking briefly about it earlier, without you. Uh, goon because you don't sit with us because I don't know maybe you just don't like us anyway <clears throat> no no that's certainly not it <laughs> um, you, you yes. may be the only people I like so okay good that's uh, is that good or bad okay anyway um, yeah so uh, this is fifth grade and uh, this is history class and uh, ladies and gentlemen as much as I enjoy writing now, and I'm, I'm working on some projects for writing purposes, I hated writing back then. Fifth grade, writing was not my thing. So whenever we had a project, we had the option of writing a report on something or making something, I always opted for the making thing. So we were studying the Mayan culture, and you could write a 15 to 20 page report on the Mayan culture, or you could make something. So I decided to, you know, got a four foot by four foot chunk of three-quarter inch plywood and I started laying down terrain and I built out of balsa wood an entire Mayan temple and I was so proud lots of steps I mean the thing just looked great but the artistic part of me which really is completely lacking as you'll soon find out decided it needed just this one little splash of something so um, so I put a fleur-de-lis on the Mayan temple <laughs> And um, and Goon is a is an expert in history and knows why that is absolutely positively the dumbest thing I could do. In fact, Mr. Fabrizio, God God bless him, I think he's I have no idea if he's still alive or not. Um, he literally asked me, "Are you a time traveler or an idiot?" And I kind of looked at him and I said, "Well, I'm I'm not a time traveler," <laughs> um, because as as one might guess, the fleur de lis is the symbol of the French monarchy. Uh, France had never made it to the area where the Mayans were. Um, also, the Mayans existed uh, several hundred years before the French monarchy, so the French would have had to been time travelers in order to get their friggin' fleur-de-lis on the side of my Mayan temple. Um, I did get a good grade uh, with the condition that I whitewashed off the fleur-de-lis before I presented it to uh, to the rest of the school. Thank you, Mr. Fabrizio, for, for having pity on this poor um, not time traveler. So you really are a time traveler, right? No, I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've established that. Life choices from that point on have <laughs> have gotten me to here. Once, I mean, once again, take an action, take the consequences. Absolutely. Thank you very much. That's what men do, Mr. Kaepernick. Just saying. <laughs> well, uh, now, see, there could have been a time slip because he could have seen what happened to Tebow and realized that if you become the focus instead of your ability or lack of ability, mm -hmm. then you will be blackballed by everyone. So it didn't matter how far you got into the playoffs, the Super Bowl, or anything. Now it is about you and the statements you make. Hmm. Right, who wants a controversial player on their team, no matter how good they are? Unless your name is Tom Brady, of course. 
<laughs> then it, then it, it really doesn't matter what you do. <laughs> it, Banging my head slowly <laughs> on the desk. <laughs> Hater's gonna hate. Just because he's a pretty boy with a gorgeous wife who can play football, you just you just can't let it go, can you? No, of course not. All I right. don't blame you. I do the same thing. I'm just, just saying. It well, is true. He he doesn't seem to have exhibited the best choices either. Nor nor does he seem to be paying for them. True. True enough. We um we have a couple more stories. Um one of them was kind of interesting. I, I had a conversation with uh, I'm sorry, I had this conversation with the chief again because, you know, the goon wasn't around. <sighs> we gotta get you co located. Much easier to have these conversations. Um there's an old saying, uh well it's not really an old saying, it's, it's called Occam's razor. And uh, in essence Occam's razor is Whatever is the simplest answer to a problem is usually closely the most likely one. And and there's a story about uh, this comes out of China uh, back in 2012, I believe it was. Chinese find an undisturbed crypt of a 400-year-old Ming Dynasty ruler. And this ancient tomb, I mean, this is this is like the Tutankhamun kind of tomb. You know, nobody knew it was even there, and nobody's grave robbed. It's really cool, right? And they get in there, <clears throat> and, you know, amongst all the typical artifacts one would find in a 400-year-old tomb, you know, 400-year-old stuff, they found, um, they found this Swiss ring watch. Now, I didn't even know these things existed in reality, but they're... It's a watch that actually you wear it like a ring, and it looks like a little wristwatch that just goes around your finger. Now, the Swiss watch, and we know it's Swiss because on the back of the watch it says Swiss, which is which is kind of funny. In English. Um, it, well, no, well, yeah. <laughs> um, but just these ring him. watches are about a hundred years old. In fact, the the one in their hands, you know, encrusted with dirt and everything look to be about 100 years old. You're wondering, well, how did a 100-year-old artifact get in a 400-year-old tomb? And, of course, immediately the time travelers, you know, hey, well, time traveled into the tomb. Why would you time travel into a tomb that's been buried for 300 years? I think it'd be more interesting to go in there and drop it off when the guy was sealing the tomb, in which case the, you know, carbon dating and all that would say, yes, your switch watch is 400 years old, which would make this a much more interesting story. They, maybe it, maybe it costs more to go back that far. <laughs> you only had so much. Uh, yeah, so only so much. Hey, NSA had a time machine. Only went back seven days. Yeah, they're cheap. And and yet, as many times as he did, so he, it, it never seemed to work out well enough that he didn't have to go back anymore. Yeah, yeah. And this guy, we're talking about a show called Seven Days, folks. And and this guy's you know pretty much ripped off because he loses seven days of his life because he has to live the seven days over again. You know, there's no going forward. It only goes back. And, you know, eventually you do, you know, 30, 40, 50 missions, you've lost a year. And that's not really fair. But anyway, I digress. So this, um, so one of the suggestions as to how this could have happened was um, people walking around in the general area of the tomb, guy drops his ring in the ground, a rodent who seems to be an expert in timepieces, grabs hold of it, burrows into the 300, 400 year old tomb, or at this time 300 year old tomb, 
and deposited it there because he recognizes it's a tomb and it's a good place to hide stuff. Now, well, I'm this, glad it's not a complicated uh, scenario. Well, exactly my point. It almost makes it Occam's razor, you know, almost begs to say, dude, it was just a time traveler. That's so much easier. Yes. But, you know, it, it's... um, it's The most, a, the most uh, obvious solution is generally the correct one. That is true. So, um, we, we certainly hope that you have enjoyed our, our, our travels through time. Uh, we're going to include a couple extra stories that we didn't get to tonight because um, we've... We recently had one of our listeners complain that he wasn't getting his money's worth because the show seemed a little bit shorter. So we made this one long enough that we hope that will satisfy his his desire to listen to our dulcet tones. But uh, there's a whole much to talk about this. We could probably do another story, and maybe somewhere down the road another conspiracy theory show will be about time. But I do believe it is now about time. That's true. And, re- and remember to like us on Facebook. Absolutely. And, Shameless plug. <laughs> and and just in case you are from the future listening to this in the past, can you shoot us an email and let us know if we are wasting our time? <laughs> because if this ends up being what kills us, putting us on the uh, Hillary Hitman list, I do not want to keep doing it. So if you can bend the rules just this once, we would appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> 